On this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint, we're coming to you from Proclaim 18. It's the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention. This year we're in Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. Glad to be here. This is always uh, an exciting time for me, uh, being in broadcasting, coming up and meeting with various ministries and, and hearing the stories of God at work in, in so many different ways. Never know who you're going to meet when you're at the NRB. Just recently had a chance to start visiting with Wayne Faust. Wayne is from Loveland, Missouri, I believe. Is that right, Wayne? Well, actually, that's my publicist. I'm actually, I was born in Pittsburgh, and I'm living right here on the outskirts of Nashville. Does that mean you're a Steeler fan or are you a Titan fan? Well, in football, I've been a Steelers fan, but in, in hockey, I've always been a Predators fan. Okay. <laughs> That's spoken well. Well, you have written a book, and we're going to talk about that book. It's 300 billion to one. That's a pretty big odd, isn't it? It is. I'm not an expert in statistics, but I did take a, a few in college, and it's interesting how I came up with that title. Wayne, before we get into the details of the book, too, just a little backstory of you. You told me, first of all, you listen to Bot Radio Network, which is a plus for us. It is. Uh, I find that if I uh, keep my channel in, on my car radio to Bot Radio and positive things, uh, I stay positive and joyful. You've got some great messages on Bot Radio. Well, you were telling me that Robbie Zacharias is one of your favorite teaching programs, I believe. He is, because he's so theologically deep. He's challenging, and uh, I, I just love his apologetics. Yeah. Okay, so you grew up in the Pittsburgh area. Talk about family life. What was your folks like? Well, uh, the hectic city. You know, I, I loved growing up in Pittsburgh, and my mother and father were romantics doesn't mean they were perfect but they uh they loved each other and they believed in uh marriage death do you part and a commitment and uh we they had their ups and downs but uh they raised me as a hopeful romantic and um after the military uh i went to college and met my wife i've been down south ever since so while pittsburgh was a nice place to grow up i'm now a southerner what was your wife's name and what were the circumstances how you met my wife's name was Wanda. I was in Vietnam when my parents said, you know what, if you want to go to college, we'll help you get enrolled. And they enrolled me at Lee University, which is a Church of God college in, in Cleveland, Tennessee. That's where I met Wanda. As soon as I met her, I just knew she was the one. I couldn't live without her. My, my heart danced when I was around her. It was, I was kind of at peace and joy. <laughs> I had saved myself for the right woman, believing that God puts people together the way Jacob met Rachel at the well, the way Isaac and Rebecca were to meet, or Moses and his wife from Ethiopia, and Joseph and Mary. I knew God did not waste paper in the Bible just to have those marriages. He wanted us to wait upon him for the right one as he prepares both hearts. And I knew it when I met her. It's like, Wayne, that God has the design for a couple to do really mission for him together, to be a testimony of the grace and mercy of God to society. The picture of marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, his bride. So it's a representation of all of the good things God offers humankind. Amen. Amen. When you think about what makes a marriage work, Christless marriage has more challenges than can be met. Yeah. As a therapist, people ask me, what makes a successful marriage? I said, well, you know, I like the three C's. I think that helps. Communication, 
If one stops communicating, you won't make it. And then you have to have compromise because you're not going to agree on everything. And you have to have commitment. If you're not committed to staying together the way uh, the Bible asks you to stay committed to death do you part, uh, you won't make it either. You have to, but you know what? I think there's a fourth C in there, and I would say the Christian spirit. If you're not a Christian, you don't have the binding, the equally joined relationship that the Bible talks about. Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. He's the glue. Amen, keeps it, brother. Keeps it together. I like that. Well, when you were at Lee University, you and your wife Wanda, now she wasn't your wife in school, was she? You didn't get married in school. Actually, we did. You did. We did. I mean, I proposed to her after three months. I was afraid that if I didn't, somebody else might get get in <laughs> there. You know, <laughs> my mother always said all was fair in love and war, and I was afraid somebody <laughs> might might think it was fair to get in and uh, somehow convince her I wasn't the one. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. My wife and I dated back in Bible college, and there was a time we had a little disagreement, and usually it was my fault, and so we split up. That same week, she had three guys from the dorm had already asked her out, knowing that we had split up. So I said, "Oh my goodness, you know, I better get right." You know, so <laughs> exactly. Wanna, and we've been married now for thirty three years. Yeah, I mean, you've got to make sure if you've got the right one, you better not mess it up. Well, you know, I I proposed to her after only three months, and it was in the back of a Volvo, a 1950 Volvo that my roommate had. I didn't know that he proposed to his girlfriend the same night I proposed to mine. In the same car? In the same car. (laughs) Neither one of us had rings. We proposed without rings, and we celebrated by taking them to Crystal's afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true love there. That's true love. We'd have two pennies to shine together. So when you were at Lee, you wanted to be a counselor. Was that the area you were looking to move into? Actually, I thought I was going to go, at that time, be a youth minister because I was a youth minister in my church without any Bible schooling. And when I went to, for only a year before going to the Army, but when I came out of the Army and went to Lee University, I majored in Bible. But after a year and a half, I had a couple of psychology courses. My major professor, Paul Kahn, who wrote several paperback books that were very successful, Amway, Johnny Cash, I think, and several others, but he had such a great impact on me. I wanted to major in psychology then. And so that's where I double majored, Bible and psychology, but I became a clinical therapist in grad school afterwards. Okay. You and Wanda, after school, you moved to where? Where do you start your life? You start raising a family. Talk about life after that. Well, came to Middle Tennessee, Nashville here. I went to grad school, then became a therapist at Harry Cohn Mental Health Center in Clarksville, came back to Nashville, and I worked. have worked with several groups of people who needed help. I went to Department of Children's Services uh, and worked with abused children. I went to Cloverbottom and worked with the fragile population who were duly diagnosed with mental illness. Went to the prison system and worked with uh, the lockdown prisoners and some of the worst. And then after that, uh, assisted living homes with geriatrics. So I kind of worked with most every population except the grieving population, which is ironic because little did I know later on I'd be grieving. That's a journey that you would walk down. How long was it that when you and Wanda had been married, her health or the issues took toll on her life? Well, we were working in our 40th year of marriage. In fact, we knew each other six months before we were married. So we were, we were married exactly 40 years when she passed, but we were married 39 years when she was diagnosed with the terminal illness. And you could see the the death sentence in the doctor's eyes when he said, I'm very sorry. We knew what he was saying. Just before she was diagnosed, we had conversations in bed where she said, 
you have a legacy. You're working for Christ. You lead people to, to the Lord in prison system. She said, I'm not sure I have a legacy and do anything for him. She was living for Christ. People came to our church just because of the way she lived, and I told her that. But she was concerned about doing more for Christ. Little did she know one year later she would not only know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but she would know him in the fellowship of her suffering. She suffered a full year while I took care of her before she passed. I can't even imagine, Wayne, what that was like. I mean, just the day-to-day, knowing that there was coming an end. I mean, I'm sure you prayed, trusted, and, and I know you thought God could possibly heal her. Sure, because he healed three of the six people in a miracle service that we had three months after she was diagnosed. The miracle service was for her as well as the others, but she wasn't one of the three who got healed. Vanderbilt's canceled three of those six surgeries, for, and I'm asking the question, why not Wanda? Why didn't she get healed? They prayed for her and didn't feel anything, and, and when one of the women who had a healing ministry cried, my wife turned around and patted her on the back and said, it's okay, Nancy, it's okay, as if she accepted her destiny. Well, and I think, too, sometimes we get confused, Wayne, when we talk about healing, because sometimes God's plan of healing is to bring us to him, go ahead and transition us from this life into his presence, where we're ultimately healed. It's hard for us, when we, especially when we have loved ones. You, for 40 years, Wanda was by your side. Even in this life, good things come to an end. Obviously, the curse upon mankind, but thank God for the knowing that we have the gift of salvation, which is ultimately a gift of reconnecting us to our loved ones one day, where we'll be together forever. Amen. So Wanda passes, and can't imagine just the emotional turmoil. I mean, here you are as a counselor, as a therapist. You said you hadn't really walked the road of, of doing grief counseling but you had to help carry people through really deep valleys in life. And here you are in one right now. How did you get through that time? You know, I, it was the first time I faced such grief. Even when my mother passed, I didn't feel the grief near as deep. I was paralyzed with grief and emotionally devastated. And I, I looked up and said, God, I can't go on. I, I don't know what it's like to be single and, and alone anymore. So I was listening to the radio on the way home, and it, I Need a Miracle came on. I said, Lord, I'm the one that needs a miracle. I mean, really, I'm at the end. I don't feel like moving on. I have no purpose. And how can I help others as a therapist if I can't even help myself? It was that very night, Byron, that God sent my wife back to me. It was amazing. I went to bed. Immediately, she appeared before me, young, healthy, without the catheter bags hanging from her. She was wearing a multicolored robe. And she embraced me all night long for eight hours. Now, I don't know about you, but most guys over 40 and 50 years old have to get up many times during the night to use the bathroom and drink water. Not this night. Constantly I do that. Yeah. I slept through not just six hours. I usually only sleep five or six. I slept through eight hours fully rested. I jumped out of bed, both legs at the same time, and I wrote down in my grief journal, Wow, Lord, thank you so much. I needed a miracle. I prayed for one. You gave it to me. Just don't let me complain a week, a month, or a year from now and start whining again. Because I could be a whiner. My wife was never a whiner. She was a good example. But you're dealing with me, Lord, so don't let me forget. It was at that point he added some more layers of miracles so that I could never forget. You were telling me about these, and they really are miracles that happen. And we've got listeners that might be in different categories when we start talking about miracles. 
And even believers could be skeptical of saying, you know, and I know that ultimate miracle is that Christ saves us. That is a true miracle. But there are ways that God works miraculously in our lives that we can't explain. Things that help us to know he's near, he's dear, and he's taking care of us. I was in an incredible car accident, hit by an off-duty police officer at high speed and flipped my car multiple times spinning in the air with my wife driving another car behind me. As soon as the car T-boned me, all I had time to say was, help me God. But in the process, I never was unconscious, but in the process of this car flipping up in the air, I sensed the most awesome presence with me in that car. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't scared. And the car landed upside down and skidded probably 100 yards with fire and smoke going everywhere. I came to a stop and ultimate part of the story is that there wasn't a scrape, a bruise. There wasn't soreness. I never went to the hospital, even to this day. And that happened seven years, eight years ago. His providential hand is on us, and he protects us, and he shows us why later on. We don't all, always understand the reasons why we go through this grief either. I was really mad at God up to this point, and he knew I was. And he knew he needed to give me a little bit more to not only get through my grief, but to not complain and embrace what was ahead of me and help others. So he added several layers of miracles after he said yeah, Let's go back to that dream. You believe that God allowed in a dream that Wanda embraced you for eight hours as a younger woman, as a, a healed woman, and that provided much comfort for you. It did. But God knew it wasn't enough that I could go on without doubting and without needing more. And he knew that even without asking for more, because he knows us intimately inside out and what our thresholds are for temptation and weakness, he already had several other things planned for me that I was unaware of. And this is what made it possible for me to write the book. In fact, the reason why I wrote the book, because he added layers and layers of miracles to the point at which I was so compelled to write the book, I couldn't sit still. What happened was... Right after I, I prayed, Lord, don't let me forget how real this was that you sent her back to me, I walk outside to check the mail, and there's a woman waving me down saying, Wayne, Wayne, I need to talk to you. And I said, selling me? I said, I need to talk to you too. This woman came from Brentwood, 30 miles away, to see me, and she arrived at my house right after I wrote down the prayer, don't let me forget how real this was, a week or a month from now. She said, Wayne... I got something I got to share with you. And I said, tell me, I got something to share with you because I was so excited. I got to tell somebody about this miracle of Wanda coming back to me young and healthy, embracing me all night long. But I said, you go first. She said, okay, I've known you and Wanda for over 30 years. And I came over here to tell you that last night I dreamed of Wanda. I've never dreamed of either one of you in that 30 years. And I said, are you sure it was last night? She said, yeah, that's why I'm here. She says, and Wanda was young and she was healthy, wearing a multicolored robe. And she said, when you see Wayne, please give this to him. And she hugged her. Telling me, I said, there's no need for me to tell you my story because that is exactly what happened in detail to me last night. Wanda came back to me young, healthy, wearing that multicolored robe, and she embraced me all night long. And she said, oh, my God, I'm getting chills up and down my spine. God sent Wanda to help you move on and sent me over here to verify it. I said, I know. Is that amazing? What an awesome God. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Byron, 
and said, Wayne, what do you think about your odds now? Do you have any need for something further? I went back and I wrote up the odds. First of all, I used a calculator. I got out my wife's flip phone. Calculator gave me an error message. See the smartphone. So I get on my smartphone and it's over 300 billion, 325 million and some change to one. So I rounded the statistics down and that's the title of this book because that's the first two parts of the miracles that God gave me in a succession. It was that odds. And those odds can be even greater in all kinds of ways that God interacts with us. When I say odds, it's odds in humans' eyes, because there are no odds in God's eyes. It's just the way he performs. He performs the miraculous. He performs his ways are far beyond ours. In fact, he's such an awesome God. The way I heard it said, it's almost insulting to God to ask him for anything that you or I could do for each other. We have such an awesome God, we should audaciously ask for the impossible and believe it because there is nothing impossible to God. Wayne, what have you seen as this book has been published, people are reading and getting feedback? How is this book touching people's lives? There are young people who are asking the question, how can I find the right one? Should all my dates be like interviews? Is God in it? Does he care? And this is a difficult time to be dating. But this book, there's a couple chapters that reinforce the idea, more than the idea, the principle that God wants us to lean on him for the right mate. He put Jacob and Rachel together. He said, you'll see her at the well. He put Rebecca and Isaac together. He put Mary and Joseph together. There's several examples. And God did not waste space in the Bible to put this in there. It's in there for our lessons. We should be praying for a wife. We should be praying for a spouse, uh, that God prepare the heart of the one that we're supposed to meet so that when we do see them, we're ready and that we realize God was in it. So for the young person reading the book, it's a story of love and hope that defies the odds because God will also bring you to the right one as a mate, a soulmate. But it's also for the person who has cancer to see how one comes through the stages without getting mad at God, accepting your destiny, accepting your will for God, letting it build character for you, let it being a testimony for you, helping you to know Christ not only in, in the power of his resurrection, but so that you can know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering, and so you can help others with that suffering. Wow. There's so many lessons in here. Yeah. There's lessons for the hospice person, but there's also, guess what? windows into the mind and heart of God to show how he thinks about us, how he cares about us, how he transcends time to answer our prayers before we even pray them. So there's something in here for all ages. And what I call this book is like a triumphant version of The Notebook, the movie The Notebook, because this one has a happy ending and a lot of joyful Christian lessons to it. And as you said, this experience has motivated you to move out of the morning time and into the ministry of touching other lives. Because when we're consumed, even as tragic and as heartbreaking as it was for you to lose Wanda after 40 years, and and that relationship ended at that point after 40 years, the healing began for you when you were able to get your focus off yourself, but you couldn't get it off yourself because You were just so heartbroken. I can't help but think, Wayne, there's people listening right now that are in similar places of life where they're just devastated by circumstances of life, a loss of a loved one, maybe someone who's died many years ago and their life is not the same. 
But what you said in the process of dying for Wanda was a sense that she would still have dignity and character. Some people would say, well, why would somebody dying need character? The character aspect is not as much, I don't believe, for the individual. It is just for those watching her. Exactly. And what people said at her tribute service reinforces exactly the concept you said because more than one person came up there and said these words. Wanda taught us how to live graciously, but she also taught us how to die graciously, never complaining, never whining. And she was like a modern-day Job in that respect. Wow. So I think that's really the story here today, you know, through your book, 300 Billion in One by Wayne Faust. Okay, so you're here in the Nashville area now. What's going on with your life right now? Great question. God changed my life, and he changed my passage in life and my legacy. Basically, I am a, a licensed therapist turned author. Because at this point, when he uh, gave me these sets of miracles, the scripture from Habakkuk 2.2, I believe it is, it said, write it down so that even a passerby can take the news and run with it. You know, as well as I do, Revelation talks about we overcome as Christians by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So people want to overcome, and they need to overcome by this testimony. This was a series of miracles that was meant to be shared so that other people, their faith can be strengthened, their hope can be held high, and so that they can overcome. And so that's what God wanted me to do. Write this book, speak about this book, speak to uh, the churches, to nonprofit organizations, give the money to charity. So all the money from this book goes to a charity in her name. It goes to a full scholarship at Lee University where we met. So now I'm called to be an author. My whole legacy has changed. I'm just speaking about God's glory and his miraculous interventions. God bless you, Wayne. See, it's all about giving back and serving. Ultimately, God saved us to serve, to serve him, Amen. serve others. I'm sure that you've been helping lift others out of the valley of despair and hopelessness. I had worked with all the populations, it seems, clinical populations a therapist could work with. Um, I worked, you know, with the youth population, the general adult population, the fragile dual-diagnosed population, then the prison population, and then the elderly in assisted livings. But I had never worked with the grief population until my wife died, and now I can. Wayne, what is it, when you talk about these various populations that God has allowed you to minister through through your career, is there a common thread? Is there something that stands out among each of these different populations of people that you minister to? We all go through a trial or a tribulation for a reason. The reasons differ from person to person. For some of us, it needs to be character building. And James talked about that. He said, rejoice when you fall into various trials and temptations because this produces patience and let patience have its perfect work in you that you would be perfect and entire wanting nothing so there is a joy and a peace after you come through your tribulation and trial because you depended on christ and you receive in him the fullness and abundant life we are meant to have so 
That is the running theme. When you get through it, you look backwards and you see the footsteps of Christ walking with you and you say, glory to God. He knew what I needed. He knew what I wanted. There was now I see the reason why I came through this trial, regardless of what it was. And now I embrace and accept the destiny ahead of me. Wow. Praise God for that. That is a wonderful, wonderful testimony. The book is 300 Billion to One by Wayne Faust. Wayne here at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, Proclaim 18 in Nashville. It has been a a joy, my dear brother, to visit with you and to have you share. Now, if folks are interested in getting a copy of your book, is there a website? Is there a way to purchase this book? There are. There are several ways. Uh, It is listed on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, other fine bookstores. And if they want a larger quantity at a discount for their church or organization, they can actually get on my website um, they can email me wayne.faust1950 at gmail.com uh, and there could be a, a larger discount for a bigger quantity and I would be very happy to work with them so it has been out now since February uh, 15th is this your first book it is my first book I used to write research for education I've written training manuals I've written CLEP testing manuals all my life educational and research papers But this had to be written from an autobiographical point of view. It had to be written with the understanding that some people want to be entertained with uh, the highs and the lows of your life. So it was a different type of writing for me. And I guess sitting down and hitting this book for you probably came quite easy because it was an overflow of your heart. This is an expression of your life right here. Yes and no, Byron. I would say that the, the first time I wrote it, it was cathartic because I had to get through my grief and I was still angry at God. So I put it off for three and a half years while I got went through the grief cycle. So the first time writing it was difficult. I had the notes, yeah. but the notes were not in the right order. So as I looked through my journal on the PC, I didn't have it saved in the right order. But rewriting was difficult as well. And I think something you just said too, Wayne, is quite important. We cannot minimize the importance of people grieving. And people grieve in different ways. As you have loved ones that are going through grieving, as you minister to them, being patient, being available, just being there, even if there's attitudes and actions that are just out of the ordinary or not the normal character of the individual, stand with them, love them through that time. Yes. When somebody's grieving, there's some things we should remember. One, be a good listener. They need you to listen more than they need your advice. Because we don't know exactly what the other person's thinking and feeling and how they're resolving it. In addition to listening, you know, uh, perhaps they need a hug. Some people just, they just need that and you could tell. Be there for them. There's a saying, it's better to understand than to be understood. So just show them that you understand. Yes. And you know, the lastly, I would say, the grief process is one that's personal, individual, and doesn't have a time limit. So don't judge them unfairly. You know, they might take longer to grieve than others. Wayne Faust, thank you so much for joining Bot Radio Network here at Proclaim 18, the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention here with me. God bless you. Thank you so much for sharing with Bot Radio. It's been my pleasure, Byron. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Thanks for stopping by. Bye-bye.